All right, we're going to. Uh, oh, one other announcement too. The as far as the teachers that I mean, the parents that are left. The Nadine's class and Linda's class up until the Christmas play pro, uh, practice will be uh, doing a practice with either Veronica or Nancy Bosworth. So they'll just as a for your information that those who are six to age three, so you know, th- those will be in a, a little pr- Christmas play practice for the actual Christmas play program up until then. Okay, so we're going to be continuing our, our study in the, the local church, and particularly the topic today is what, it's, it's, what is the purpose or the purpose of the local church. Now, um, this is a I don't know how else to put it as far as like deep or, or reflection sometimes you can have with yourself is what is my purpose here, you know, as a person, right? Um, because we can get so used to just going through the daily grind that we lose focus. And is it just to wake up, go to work, you know, uh, take care of my family? And all those things are great. But when we talk about um, what is... I want to go backwards. Okay, there. Uh, what is the purpose of the local church? Um, why is it here? Or what is it that God is looking for? And, and really, it's an important question to ask because um, there's misuse, right? It can be not only maybe the way that I perceive it to be, I could be missing the picture what God is intended to be. And really, and if I am part of that church, what does that in turn do for my own life? Well, I then am misdirected because I think this is the way that God has intended the church to be. And I'm a Christian, a part of that church. Well, I'm missing the mark, right? What is God? Um, what does God have in store? Now, we actually, actually I, I, I want to go back to just to make reference since we were just there in Hebrews 10. But just look at this. I don't know when you think about um, the you know, why should you be in a local assembly? Well, sometimes I, I, I'll just, as far as an introduction, I've always heard this. Do not forsake the, for, um, the assembling of yourselves. In the King James, it says this. In other words, don't neglect getting together. I've always heard that. Well, you shouldn't do that because, you know, you need to be together. Well, you know what? There's something important about that. Because look at this, what it says here in, in Hebrews chapter 10. Well, I've always heard that, and it was just left like that. Well, don't, you know, you need to get together with other Christians, and that was all I knew, right? Well, why is it that we have a local church? Well, you need to get together. Well, there's an opportunity that, as a believer, that I have, and knowing that I have now free access in you, if you're a true believer, free access into the throne room of God, something that's never had, uh, never, that's never had, uh, a human being has never had before outside of Christ, right? That we have the ability to go into the throne room of God. And knowing all that, that all this that's unseen, we have the absolute uh, assurance that it's going to happen, that our future is secure in heaven. And knowing all that, Paul, uh, or excuse me, the writer of Hebrews wraps up with this. Verse 23, this is chapter 10 of Hebrews. Let us hold fast to the confession of hope without wavering. In other words, don't let it go. Hold on to it. Don't be ashamed of your faith. Why? For he who promised is faithful. God is the one that's going to uphold it. God will not fail. And look at what it says here, verse 24. And this is what we wanted to pull out. Let us consider how to stir one another up with love and good works. 
not neglecting the meeting together. Now, I'm reading from the ESV. Um, you might have another uh, uh, phrase for that. But mine says, not neglecting the meeting together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another uh, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So if I don't assemble with other Christians, I'm missing out as far as what God has intended me to be, that I'm supposed to be a, a, a spark plug for other Christians around me and encouraging them for good works. Why? Because the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back. So if I'm going to conduct my life as a Christian and not assemble, right, and not be with other Christians, well, I must not think the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come back. Now, I do believe that, right? But I'm practicing. Look, he's not going to come back. I have time. I've got to do this, this, and that, and the other thing. And the importance in what I see my life and what my direction is sometimes can be clouded, right? But the Christian's opportunity, now there's, there's many things why the Lord left us here. But for this purpose, to assemble with other Christians, I'm to encourage them for love and good works. I'm supposed to be that person to encourage them. And how? When we get together. When we get together. And so the local assembly is important, right? Gathering together, it is important now. But I want to just ask, we're going to ask three questions. And then we're going to look at three, uh, excuse me, six, um, six metaphors that the scripture pulls out as far as the local assembly. There's different things that it likens it to. But one of them, uh, let, let's just look at the... So now this, this is also a very, um, mom, uh, what's the right word to say, pioneering day because now I get to use the very first clicker. Now, we've had this before, I've been told. So I'm figuring it out as well, as well as figuring out going through this. But it's nice because now we introduce the laser pointer again. So no longer my big old body has to be in there blocking <laughs> half the screen. I'm already blocking probably everybody on this side of the screen. But um, in any case, we have the laser, laser pointer and we have a working... Um, clicker. Okay, so what does God the Father, what does God the Father look for, right? What does God look for? Well, there's something, this is, this is fascinating when you think about it, when you start thinking about a God who's self-sufficient, who doesn't need anything, what is it that he would want? Or what is it that he, he doesn't need anything, right? He's self-sustaining. He doesn't need to eat. He doesn't need to sleep. He has perfect fellowship with the other parts of the Godhead, right? There's the Son, and then there's the Holy Spirit. He's self-sustaining. There's nothing that... He doesn't need oxygen. He doesn't need any of that. What is it that he... Well, we come across statements like this, and it's just fascinating to me that God would, uh, God would reveal things that he desires, or he's looking for, or he, in this particular chapter, what he's seeking. Look at this. As far as what we... What is God the Father looking for? Now... This particular story, I don't want to spend too much time, but I do want to, to talk about it because I think it frames really what God is looking for, what truly God is looking for in the local church. Now, this is, the, this is um, the Lord Jesus Christ and his travels, right? Most of the time he's in this area, but he makes a detour up here to this, and this is what they think this town of Sychar is. And if you go back further in Old Testament history, it might have been the town of Shechem. If you, if you heard that name before. But anyway, the Lord Jesus Christ makes his way up there. And he has an appointment with a woman. And she's at a well. And so this woman, there's a conversation, and he goes on to talk to her. And in his conversation with her, um, 
obviously her whole life is revealed, right? He knows everything about her, but he's still talking to her. And now she happens to be of this, um, this area called Samaria. Now, Samaria, uh, Samaritans, excuse me, there's a history there, right? They were the northern part of the kingdom that splintered off from David's rule way back at the end of Solomon's reign. And they were also the, the, the kingdom of northern Israel that primarily was not good. And so they went into exile very soon, uh, not very soon, but shortly after their splinter from the southern kingdom of Judah, and they went into exile. Now, that, this area was conquered and just taken over by different uh, groups of, uh, of people, but the Jews got mixed blood from that, right? The other uh, nations came in, they took them out, they put their own people in, they brought them back, but the, the tribes and the the Jewish heritage intermingled with other uh, nations. And so that's what you have, these Samaritans who were half Jewish, sometimes a fourth Jewish, sometimes an eighth, right? So with that, what you would think is there's a mixing of what they believe in in their religion. And so the, what, if me being a Jew, right, from down here, well, we have the temple down here in Jerusalem. That's why they despise those Samaritans, right, because they would mix in part of the truth or what they what they saw as the truth in the Old Testament, and they would bring in other things, right? So they would replace what God had prescribed, and they would have their own form of worship. And so there was a lot of hostility and enmity between these two groups. And so this woman's from this area, and Jesus, being of Jewish heritage, goes to talk to her. And so even that is, is, is significant in her mind. Like, why is this Jewish man talking to me? Not only that, She's going to get water. Now, everybody needs water to live. The fact that she's there by herself probably indicates that she doesn't want to be seen or maybe she's going when she doesn't need to get ridiculed because of her life. Maybe it wasn't something that was, she was the talk of the town and maybe she was ducking. I don't know what it was. But anyways, the Lord Jesus Christ meets this woman. So let's look at this. Now, in his conversation, right, he's trying to move her to the point, right, where she is completely honest and open with her life, right? honest and open, right, ready to receive this man, right, receive this man who loves her, but he, she first, he first wants to see, right, that she's honest and open. So she, he starts, the Lord Jesus asks these questions to her, and, and one of them is, well, you need to go call your husband, right, after the conversation about the water. Now she says, well, you know what, I don't have a husband. She actually has had five. Now, uh, I, I think the one... There's one coworker of mine. I think he's had three um, marriages, but I can't imagine five. Now I don't know what what the situation was. Maybe they died. You know, maybe they were young and they died. But this woman had five uh, husbands, and the one she was living with was not hers. And so, knowing this, right now she's actually telling this person uh, who she just met. Right? She's like, well, you know, this is a little uncomfortable for me. Let me try to throw out this theological question and try to trip up. I know he's Jewish heritage. I know he's a Jewish man. And I know this. She says this. Look. Um, she says, I perceive you're a prophet in verse 19. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain. And you say in Jerusalem is the place where you ought to worship. Okay, so remember, Samaritans, they're mixed, right? So up here in Sychar, where she is, there's this 
there's these two mountains. Now, they are very significant in Old Testament times. One is Gerizim. I don't have them on my little map here. But the other one is Ebal. Now, if you've heard those two before, um, those were the two mountains that um, Moses was commanded, which he never got to do because he couldn't enter the land. But when they entered in, half, uh, some of the tribe of Israel were to stand on Gerizim. The other one were going to stand on Ebal. And on there, they were going to read the curses and the blessings. And there was other things that happened on Gerizim. It was a very significant mountain. And so what happened was, is because this group of people, right, they weren't welcome down here. They started identifying these holy sites that they had in their history as places of worship. And so what, that's what she says. Listen, we have this holy site up here called Gerizim, which is a mountain. That's where we worship. We know Jacob went there. We know um, Israel, uh, uh, excuse me, not, um, uh, different patriarchs from our time went up there. And they you know, dug wells, and they had all these different holy sites, and they started identifying them. Well, if we're not welcome in Jerusalem, we're going to start having our own. And so that's what she says. Listen, you Jews say that you worship in this mountain. Now, the mountain that she's talking about is the mountain where, where we know that um, Abraham went up to offer Isaac, right, out Mount Moriah, where later uh, David ends up meeting the angel who went out with the pestilence, right, started killing because of, he, uh, because of the sin that he did. And there on that threshing floor is where the site of the temple was built, Mount Moriah. And so there's these two opposing mountains, and that's what she's throwing out. Well, which one is the most holiest? Which one is the place of worship? They both had significance in her mind. But look at what the Lord Jesus says to her. He says, The hour is coming, and now is, where true worship's True, uh, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeking such people to worship him. God is looking for worshipers who worship in spirit and truth, true worshipers. And so between these two places, right, you have the prescribed religion of the day, which they weren't most, I wouldn't say all of them because there were Jews, right, that were out of there really truly seeking the Lord. But they were there, they were going through the motions of their religion. But they weren't true worshipers. They were so far from him. And then you have up here this other place where it's a mix of truth, and it sort of looks like it, what it is, but it's not. Right? And so what he says, listen, it's not the mix of truth and not the religion that you want to make up and that you want to do and the church that you want to make. And, do, and, and have the activities and its focus and its purpose, or it's not the church that... Now, these are, this is just for an example, right? Of course, Judaism is not the church, but the prescribed way, right? And there's people going through the motions. They're sitting in the pews. They're doing the things that they need to do. They're praying and all this, but they're so far, their hearts are so far from God that they're not really truly worshiping in spirit and truth, right? So that's what he's saying. He's seeking those who are truly after him, right? And he's able to see their hearts. And so that's what God is looking for. So the local assembly, what does that mean? He's looking for people that are, uh, will worship him in spirit and in truth. In truth, right? Those who, well, what, what, how do we know truth? Apart from the word of God. No, what? no other way, right? So those Christians who are students of the book, right? Those Christians who would conduct their life in the manner of the scripture, in the way that's the scripture, not just doing what they want to do. And well, 
God designed the church to be a particular way. Well, I'm going to start moving out little pieces. Or I'm going to change something. No, that's not what it's about. It's God's church, and he's seeking something. True worshipers who would worship him in spirit and truth. Well, what did, and the, the, the second question we would ask too, is, well, what did the first church actually do? What was their purpose? What were they actually doing? Well, um, we can find this in Acts. Acts 2.42. There was a few things, at least four things, that they were, that they practiced. Two forty-two. It says this um, at the end of this interaction with uh, Peter and the tongues of fire on the disciples' heads and Pentecost. But it says this: the Christians, that is, they devoted themselves to four things: the apostles' teaching, uh, the apostles' teaching, the fel- and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. Now. When we go through this, you know, sometimes, you know, you think about where the church is now or what you think the church should, the local church should be doing. You know, you know, we have some of this, but sometimes we start interjecting other things and they're not necessarily bad things. But um, and I'm not saying I'm against them or I'm preaching against them, but we start to hold these things more important and especially where we're selecting to go to churches or where we're leaving, say, well, that's not doing it for me. This is exactly what they practice. Teaching, right, the apostle teaching, the word of God today for us, because there's no, the apostles aren't alive anymore. Fellowship, we just talked about that, right, being gathered together, right, dedicating themselves, not just to being here, but to each other. How can I dedicate myself to each other if I'm not uh, present? The body's going to suffer, right? But the breaking of bread and to prayers. Now, one of the last ones on that list, I think, is, the, is all of it that we need, of course. But the last one on the list, I think, is one of the ones that is the least attended as far as the local gathering. But it's one of the things we need the most, is it not? Is prayer. But that's where you see the least amount of people coming out when they're gathered together. Well, the first believers, they all attended to these things. No, of course they had their problems. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that they... They didn't deal with the same things that we do, but that's what they were focusing on. The Bible, right, teaching, the Word of God, fellowship, being together, right, sharing with one another, encouraging one another, as we read in Hebrews, to love and good works, breaking of bread, which we just did this morning, and to prayer. Praying, not only just praying for the needs, right, but praying spiritual prayers, praying for one another, right, corporately praying for each other. Now, um, let's look at one more thing. Why is this even important when we're asking these questions? Why is this even important to identify his purpose? Well, um, I, I was meaning to record my son. He, um, one of the latest things that he's doing is it's fascinating to watch. But, you know, you start recording. Anybody has kids, you know, you, you see something they're doing. You're like, oh, I wish I could record it. And, of course, you get it out and they stop. Right? It's, like, it's like that old, like the WB frog. You know, he starts dancing when he's not, you're not looking at him. And then he's just like a little ribbit when when you start looking at him you know he's doing all these like magic tricks but that's exactly what he's like and then when you pull it out and you ask him to do it he's just like so one of the things is and reminds reminds me of his old man you know me 
is like he's starting to turn anything into, you know, some form of a weapon. You know, he, he's not exposed to anything, but he's just, it's just boy, you know. So like I used to turn things into swords and daggers and everything. So what he's doing, somehow he learned some kind of weapon. And so he'll, he grabs a hanger and he doesn't know the noises, but he goes. <laughs> so he'll just walk around with this giant hanger. And I was hoping to get a video of it, you know, just a little cute thing. But, you know, anyway. But the purpose of a hanger is not to be, yeah, it could be a toy, but that's not its purpose, right? There's a misuse of it. And so when you're identifying the right thing to use, right, it's like using a hammer. Would you use a hammer on a bolt with threads? No, it's the wrong thing. And some people, now, God's not misusing his church, right? He's using it correctly. But the way I perceive it, right, as the local church should be this. And, And a lot of times you hear this, right? When you start talking to, or even talking with yourself, right, in, in, in a way that you're examining yourself or talking to individuals, you say, well, I go to here because they got this, this, and that. But, you know, the purpose of the church isn't even falling under that. And so, really, what they're looking at the church is as a hammer when they're trying to use it on threads when they should be using something else, the right tool, right? And so, and sometimes it's a good thing, right? Well, we want to focus really on evangelism. And that's a great thing. We should be, right? But if we neglect the other things that the church should be involved with, it's sort of working out if I only worked out my right arm and I had this gigantic bicep. Oh, he's not in here. Like Luke. You know, I had a Luke arm, you know? And then my other arm's like a Brian arm. It's like, man, this guy's like totally unproportional. You know, you want to work out your entire body, right, so you're all proportional. So each individual thing is great, but identifying the purpose of the church is important. Not only that, it could be misused. Now, I don't know if this is Photoshopped, but I was looking through. I mean, that's just, I don't, I don't know how they decided that the guy on the ground is going to be the guy who's going to. I mean, I don't know if you can see it. It's, I know it's a white background, but the guy's using a saw, and he's using him, himself as a table. I mean, I don't know. It's not even, a, it's, the purposes of that photo is to show you that it could be misused, right, in a way that, Sometimes it's dangerous, right, that I can look at the, uh, the purpose of the church and totally be missing it, and really it, it totally misdirects my own life, right, and sometimes renders years of my own life useless, right? Can you imagine that if I thought, let's just take this for example, well, the most important meeting is the breaking of bread. You know, you would think, and I don't know if you think that, it is an important meeting, well, I'm just going to come to that and not attend to anything else that's going in the meeting. Well, now I'm just missing out on everything else. Oops. Learning the clicker. I'm missing on everything else here. There's teaching, there's fellowship, and there's prayers. Breaking bread, I'm only doing one of them. Well, that's a misuse of what the local church is. But I, you, know, you can go on years and years and years and, and not even c- consider this, right? So it's good to kind of shake up our belief on what the local church is and its purpose. There's a real benefit in doing that. Not just the local church. Let's broaden it. My own life. What, what is the purpose? Why am I here? Like I said, is it just to work, wake up, work? You know, those things are all great. But what about just branching out? It's like maybe the Lord's placed me in this situation to become, you know, maybe it's like to meet that woman at that well. The Lord Jesus Christ took that large detour to go up to Sychar just to meet one woman. Maybe he's put me in this difficult job, right, or this boss who is really just raining down on me every day to shape me and make me more. When I first started at Memorial, 
I haven't been working for two years. Um, Stephen, now that he's here, it gives good memories. You know, uh, Billy owns a paint store, but there's different things I was doing. I mean, people were just throwing work at me, and I was just glad to take any of it. But when I finally had something that I could settle down with, Memorial, it was like a shock. It was like totally I had to like relearn how to talk to people again because I was just like, you know, I was because I, I work in IT, but I was on the phones, and I, I didn't really want to do it. And especially once it started, dealing with people, it was so, I felt myself getting hot, you know, just because of my, my short patience, you know. And, and then, like, later I was like, man, I realize now the Lord brought me here to kind of like, he's still teaching me patience, but he was using just that situation to say, Brian, you know, you need to exercise some patience here. Now, at the time, I could be like, oh, I couldn't wait to get out of here, you know. This is like ridiculous, and, and it, on top of it. I wasn't even hired for that position. I was supposed to be somewhere else. They didn't have an opening, so they put me over here. So, you know, anyway, I say all this to say this, is that, you know, what is the purpose of the Christian, right? And, and maybe it's to, you know, he has you somewhere to be a witness, you know, not just to go through the daily grind and the church. You know, we can get stuck uh, thinking that it's, well, it's just for the, the breaking of bread. And that's the only meaning I find important. And that's the only meaning I'm going to attend. Or not even that, you know, now you can, some places, you can just attend church through watching through your screen. I mean, what's the big deal? I'm getting the same teaching, you know, and I just don't have to go anywhere. Well, you're totally missing, you're short-circuiting the fellowship. You're short-circuiting the ability to encourage one another to work, uh, good works and love. And so what is the purpose? And it is important, right? And we already heard what the local, the first church did is they dedicated themselves to four different things. And... The Lord uh, God the Father is seeking those who would worship him, right, in spirit and in truth. Not the way that they want, right, but the way that he prescribed, right, truly after him. And so we're just going to look at uh, six different things, uh, metaphors, in the remaining time. Hopefully we can get through them. But um, that the, the spirit of uh, God has recorded us. Now, it could have taken anything. And so we just want to look at, uh, run through these of what the church is, is likened to, and then maybe pull out some application as as we go along. So the first one we want to look at is in 1 Timothy 3.15. First Timothy 3.15, it says this. If you can't tell by the graphic what it is, but we'll just read it. Um, is if I delay... Now, we're just going to break into here. Um, there is, this is in the middle of a thought, but it says this, if I delay, you ought to know how one, you may know how ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living, living God, the pillar and the buttress of truth. Okay, so he likens the church as a house, a house. And as in any house, Right, you can feel welcome in a house, or you know, you you maybe you're a little bit of a messy person. It's a messy house, you know. There's something about it because of the owner, right? The owner, so to speak, the house becomes like the owner, right? So the way that the owner is, and the house can reflect that. And so, what would God's house if He was living in a place? Now, there is nothing that can contain Him, right? Because He's everywhere. But if He was, well. Um, Psalms 95 actually tells us, 
and the, uses this word befits or becomes. God's house, where he's at, it befits holiness. Uh, holiness befits his house, right? So if the church is likened to a house and we're part of that house and God is holy, what would that make, what would we be encouraged to be like? Holy, right? We would want to be like the master of the house. And so God's church is likened to a house and its building blocks, the church, right, are to be called to be holy. Now they are, right, once they're saved, right? The same question is dealt with, but in practice, right, daily uh, setting apart ourselves to God, right, apart from the world. Okay, there's another one too here as we're going through this, and this is found in, in Revelation uh, 1. I don't know, when you, when you think of... Uh, when you think of Revelation, I think a lot of times um, the mind, and rightfully so, it just you think of, well, it, it's a prophetic book, and it's apocalyptic um, teaching, right? The end of the world, and what Jesus is moving everything to, and there's great, we should know that as Christians. But the first three chapters are actually letters to churches. And so really it's a letter, the way it was constructed, and then it's revealing, God reveals more things to John. But the fact is that, you know, why, again, why is this important? The fact is, Revelation 1, right, there's a, uh, there was a revealing uh, to John, the Lord Jesus sees uh, Jesus the way he is, right? Not no more as a human being that he can lay his, his head on his chest, but a very terrifying image. But the fact is, is look at this in verse 20. It says this in one, uh, as the mystery of the seven stars, like John sees these different things in and there's an explanation for it. But as the mystery of the seven stars you saw in my, in my right hand are the seven golden lampstands. And the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are seven churches. So this is from Jesus himself. He likens the church to a lampstand. Now, that wouldn't be an accurate description of what he was talking about, right? It would be probably a candle or some other base. But the idea that the church is a lampstand and the fact that God is moving in between those lampstands. In other words, does God care about what the local church is doing? Absolutely. Look at these three, look at these three chapters. There's things that he commends them on, and there's things that he corrects them on. And so does God take notice what exactly I'm doing? Maybe nobody else does know, but he does, right? He does care. And he has, um, he's very concerned about what his local lampstand is doing. And sometimes, actually, I think all of those, right? I don't know if there still is a local testimony there in these places, Philadelphia, Ephesus. But sometimes the lampstand needs to be taken away, right? The local lampstand. Now, of course, the, the church is still here, but the local assembly sometimes needs to be taken out. What do you do with a lamp? I mean, it's pretty easy, right? Yeah, turn it on, right? But you need it for light. You need it for light. I mean, how many times... In our little spheres, I mean, have we been shining for Christ? Right? I mean, let's take it as a local, as a personal uh, testimony. We're part of the church, right? I'm called, if the local church is called to be a lampstand or a light in this dark world, what am I doing? Well, I'm a, I'm a testimony here, but when I leave here, I just kind of fit in. 
I mean, I think that's pretty normal, right? It's, I think that's the normal. I did it, right? And I still do. I, we still sometimes it's easier. It is easier not to say anything, right? Just to be quiet and not speak up. But not only just a lampstand, guys. There's so, there's so many other things to be encouraged us to be testimonies for. But the fact is, guys, is that, brothers and sisters, excuse me, is that this world is going to meet God at Judgment Day one day. I mean, would I, I mean, do I want to be that person that did not open my mouth? Now, I don't, I'm not saying I'm going to see them going through it and, and, and going meet at the great white throne, but how awful I would feel that, man, I had the opportunity to open my mouth and be a lampstand or be a light to them. Not maybe open my mouth, just be a testimony of my words and my actions, and I didn't, Right? That'd be awful. That'd be awful. And so the, Christ, the local church is, is likened to lampstand. The, the believers also likened to a, a light. And in other places, you know, we're not to cover the light, but we're supposed to be shining, right, reflecting the light of Christ as we're walking through this world. And so um, equipping the believers for evangelism, the local church is, is designed for that, um, being a local testimony itself in the area that we're at, right? That, that is important. Um, just one of the metaphors that we find here. Let's look at another one. This one is found in um, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. All right, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse, I'm going to start in, I'm going to start in 20, just for context. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom, did I put the wrong thing there? Yeah, but you're in chapter 2. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Yes, my bookmark is wrong. Okay, verse tw- uh, yeah, verse 22. Okay, I was looking at something else. Thank you. Chapter 1, And he put all things under his feet and gave him head over all things the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, you want to talk about purpose for a believer. I mean, you can't get any... I mean, this. you can't be any more filled with... I don't know what the feeling is, but... Man, I have purpose in my life that I am now God's body on earth. Now, listen, God could have used anything to spread his gospel. He could have used a more effective witness than me by, by far. Angels, right? I mean, can you imagine if angels appear and start preaching the gospel? Now, it does happen later. But can you imagine? I mean, you think I would think that would be a more effective witness or more effective of carrying out God's will. But instead... He just, now, he does use angels, but instead he decides to use the local church. And so I have the ability now, and uh, yeah, we'll talk about uh, gifts too a little bit, but I'm gifted now, right, in this org, uh, organism called the body, and I have, I'm with the direction it says here, it says as, as in our body, right, we get direction from our head, you know, our foot doesn't tell us direction, Right, but we get it from down top, uh, uh, from up top, and it flows down. So our direction comes from God Himself, and He's moving 
the local church, right? And so if he moves me over here, what does the body do? It does it. Now, have you ever, has your hand ever, now maybe with an injury, but could you imagine like your pinky, if it would grow a mouth and some eyes and a brain maybe, and then start saying, listen, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to hold this. No, you know what? I'm going to go and do this. Or I'm going to um, go to sleep. You know, it would kind of be weird, you know. Your hand would be like, but can you imagine? That's, sometimes that's how Christians conduct their life, right? Their purpose in life, and, or excuse me, their purpose in, in the church, they've been gifted. Let's talk about, now this is obviously we're going to be covering this in later, but I want to talk about gifts really quick since we're talking about the body. Each individual is gifted when they're coming into a part of the church. God has gifted them for a particular reason. And so, um, you know, Christian A, he's given uh, helps. Christian B, she's given uh, hospitality. And who directs that? Well, the head. The head directs these different gifts. For what purpose? Well, they're part of the body. They're to move together and they're, they're to work together. So can you imagine if your pinky grew consciousness and says, I don't want to do this anymore? Well, the body would be suffering. Not only the pinky can't do anything by itself, right? It doesn't have the ability to see. But, you know, now I'm going to have to grab things with four fingers. And so that's literally what Christians end up doing. They remove themselves out of the local assembly, but they've been gifted to be in there. And the gift is not for myself. You know, I don't have the gift of sleeping, right? That only benefits myself. It's not what the Holy Spirit gives, right? Or I don't have the gift of, I don't know, exercising or or something that would only benefit me. My gifts are meant to edify everybody else. And so if I take my gift and remove it out of the local assembly, I'm totally, uh, uh, um, I'm not using it correctly, right? I'm short-circuiting what God has equipped me for by taking myself out of the picture. And, and can you imagine, like I said, if you look at the body, can you imagine removing like your ankle or uh, your big toe? I mean, I don't even know what that would be like. I don't know if you can balance correctly. You have to compensate somehow. Well, you know, has anybody sprained an ankle or broken a leg? Well, what do you do? You end up walking in crutches, and then when you get it off, the other side, right, this, this leg or whatever, the arm, becomes a little atrophied, but your other body had to support its weight, right, and compensate. And that's literally what happens, right? But the fact is, as an individual, right, each individual is gifted by the Holy Spirit to edify everybody else, not just for myself. And so it is important that I'm gathered together. It is important that I fellowship with one another, that I'm encouraging one another, that I'm part of a body receiving my direction from the head and moving where he wants me to move. It's not to be on my own. It's not to do things like in those Samaritans were doing, worshiping the way they wanted to do worship. What well, looks like worship, it's not true worship. Okay, uh, let's, move really, let's move to this one a little. This one's a little more... Uh, this one's a practical one, not more practical. They're all practical. This one's likened to a temple. Now, sometimes uh, this one in particular, uh, interchangeably, because it's talking about the, you could say the individual is the temple of the Holy Spirit. But the Christian is also, the church is comprised of individuals. So when you look at all these different things, right, we we talked about the beginning that the God, the church is, is the household of God. But the, look at this in verse 
uh, 16 of 1 Corinthians. It says, Do you not know you are the temple of uh, God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? Now, when we think about that, you know, think about where I go or maybe what I'm doing. God's spirit is dwelling within me. I mean, that should change you, right? You know, I don't know, Miles is not at this stage yet, but um, I know what it's like. You know, you kind of look over your soul and see who's watching before you do something. Well, God's spirit is with you, right? He's dwelling within you, and he's made residence in the Christian. And if I go on and live the way that I want to live, am I misusing what God gave me? Absolutely. And so I have a responsibility in the temple. What do you do in a temple where it was a center of worship? The duties of a priest are found in 1 Peter. It says this, that I'm to offer up spiritual... uh, In in uh, Ephesians, it says spiritual songs, right? But I have... Uh, and spiritual sacrifices. I have the ability as a priest, right? I'm called to be a priest to offer up something to God. I have uh, a task to do in this temple. It's not just to sit there and absorb all the great teaching, right? But I have the ability to offer up something, right? Whether it's, maybe it's not something like, like what I'm doing now, but it might be something like interaction with another Christian, Maybe it's hospitality, but again, edifying and serving one another, right? Serving God in such a way. But the duties of the priest, they were given a particular task. It wasn't just to sit down. It wasn't just to neglect it, but it was to offer up, um, it was to offer up sacrifices in God's center of worship, right? Not to do what they want to do, but there was a task and there was a purpose. And we got two more, and then we'll finish. And the last, uh, the second to last one is found in this, in not too far, uh, that was 16. Let's look up in verse 9. Same chapter. For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field and God's building. Now, we already looked at God's house. You can also say it's God's building. But God has planted this field. What do you do with the field? Now, I don't have much, any experience with farms. Right? I don't have any experience even gardening. But I can understand that if you throw down some uh, seeds or you put down or you invest your time in some kind of farming, animals, whatever it is, you expect what? Something for, in return, right? You don't just do that for nothing. You expect something to, to grow and you expect to eat of the fruit or get the wool from the sheep or to make clothes. There's something you want to get in return. God has planted something. It's the church, right? His field. And what is he looking to get? Well, fruit. Fruit, right? That's exactly what um, John 15 talks about, right? How can I be a fruit-bearing vine or a branch of the vine, right? I got to be connected to the vine, right? The Lord Jesus Christ, letting him flow through me, right? But he's looking to gather something, right? Fruit from my life, right? Fruit unto him, right? Something that's honoring. There's a purpose I've been given. There's a job. There's a task. The church has been given a task too, right? To be productive, not to be taking away from him, right? Not to be unproductive, but God expects or is looking for something, right? Uh, Produce from him. And then finally, looking at 2 Corinthians, we'll end with this. 
This is chapter 11, verse 2. We'll just jump right in here. It says this, But I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Now, betrothed bride, um, things are a little bit different, I think, in the way that Paul understood them or the way they were practiced there. Maybe the engagement period was longer, but a betrothed means promised, right? So when a person is saved, they're part of the church, they're promised to Christ. For what? He's going to be our husband, as it were, right? There's going to be a close uh, union. Now, as a spouse, husband, wife, just thinking as a practical uh, situation, could you imagine if your betrothed husband, bride, would then go off and maybe experience or in some kind of adulterous way with another partner? Well, how would that make you feel? Left out. Yeah, not just left out. I think it would leave you hurt. But, you know, guys, I can do that with my own life, right? I can betroth- I'm betrothed to Christ, but I can go out in an adulterous way and follow after other things that can capture my heart in this, in this world, right? I don't know. I mean, i got to be honest. There's things that capture my heart that I still deal with, right? That steal time away from Christ. That steal my resources, my time that God has given me to give back to him to redeem. But I'm a betrothed bride to Christ, right? I'm promised to him. Not just to do what I want to do. And the church has been promised to him too, right? So what is, what is Paul bringing out there? He's saying that you're to be a pure virgin to Christ, right? Don't be defiled with the things in this world. There's so much out there that can defile you, right? There's so much out there that's packaged to capture your attention, to pull you away from him. The church and on a local uh, and on a personal level, right? But I'm to remain pure. The church is to remain pure, right? What is its purpose, right? There's many, there are things that the local church dedicated themselves to, right? The teaching, fellowship, um, breaking of bread and prayers. God's looking for, for those who would be worshiping in, him in spirit and truth. That's, I mean, I want to be found by God, right? Don't you? I want to be the one that's found that, that God's really looking for. Ah, there's one who's worshiping me in spirit and truth. That's what he's looking for. He doesn't, I'm not going as far as saying he's needed, right? But he's, he's looking for it. And not to be misusing it, right? I have the ability, right? God has given me a task to do, but I can choose, right? And I can derail it in my own personal life. But I still, also, I can look at the church and say, well, you know, I, it's not as important for me to be at all the meetings, or it's not as important to, to be practicing that. God has gift, gifted every individual, right, to be gathered together to edify. How can I edify? I got to be here, right? I got to be here. I understand that we all have busy lives, and, and there's things that get in the way. That's between you and the Lord. I'm just in between me and, and the Lord when it happens, right? But God has gifted us to be together, not to just to sit at home, right, and to watch the teaching and to be filled there, right? No, to be interacting with one another. Is it difficult? Absolutely, right? You've got to deal with me, right? I'm not an easy person to get along with. But, right, you have, we have the opportunity, right, to edify one another, to fulfill our purpose, as part of the local church, and ultimately, as this local church, right, can fulfill its purpose for its Redeemer, right, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom we've been promised to. So let's close in a word of prayer.
Father, we just thank you for this time. We just thank you for your word. And, Lord, we just pray that we would be just those metaphors personally, Lord, that we'd be a place that you would dwell and that you would find comfortable because we were dedicated to holiness, Lord. We would separate ourselves from things that defile us. And, Lord, that we would be a productive field, Lord, one that would bear fruit and all those different metaphors, Lord. We just pray that we'd take it. Your Holy Spirit recorded it for a particular reason, Lord. We just pray that we take it to heart. Bring us home safely, and Lord Jesus, and we do pray. Amen. Amen.